Well, hello there, listeners. It's Susie New here, president of the Australian Society of Anesthetists, and welcome to our podcast. It's called Australian Anesthesia, and this is episode three of a little series that I've been doing called Talking Money, where we talk all about the business aspects of anesthesia in Australia. If you are looking for episodes one and two, they can be found on the ASA website, asa.org.au. And of course, I'll put a link to them in the show notes. Last year, I attended the American Society of Anesthesiologists virtual meeting and attended a presentation on the business of anesthesiology by Professor Andrew Leibowitz from Mount Sinai. And one of the things he talked about was coders, which is not something we've heard much about here in Australia. He presented a slide with a multiple choice question and he asked, which one is correct? There are 10% more coders this year than last year. There are more than 60,000 coders in the US or there is one coder for every dozen doctors. And in fact, they are all correct. There are 10% more coders this year than last year. There are more than 60,000 coders employed in the US and there is one coder for every dozen doctors. And there are still not enough coders. So who are these coders? What do they do? And why do we need them? I'm going to be reviewing an article today that was sent to me. Thank you very much to the person who sent it in to me. I'll go through what they do when I have a closer look at this article and why are they relevant to us in Australia. In the US, they're very much tied to pay for performance models, which are thought to incentivize doctors. For example, if you get a certain number of your patients through mammography screening, then you might attract an incentive payment, which you hope might drive better care, better preventative care, which is thought to be much more cost-effective than having someone present late for their breast cancer, and of course, much better for the patient. Why is this relevant to Australia? The Honeysuckle Health Proposal, which was developed by NIB Health Insurance and Cigna, a large US health insurance company, mentions pay for performance models. It mentions value-based contracting. So these are some of the things that we might expect to see in Australia if this proposal gets accepted. If you want to find out more about that proposal, then I do dissect it with Peter Waterhouse, who is chair of one of our committees, in episode 36 of this podcast. So I suggest you go back and have a listen to that. But in the meantime, let's go through what this article says. This is a study that was published in 2016, and no doubt there have been more recent studies published. So if this is something that has interested you and you do have some more up-to-date studies, then please do send them my way. It was published in a journal called Health Affairs, which is a peer-reviewed healthcare journal, and which was described by the Washington Post as the Bible of health policy. And of course, I'll put a link to this particular article in the show notes. The title of the article is U.S. Physician Practices Spend More Than $15.4 Billion Annually to Report Quality Measures. The primary author is Lawrence Casalino, who's a Livingston Farrand Professor of Public Health. And a lot of the authors are from the Medical Group Management Association, which describes itself as the leading authority for executives, healthcare facilities, and job seekers. They seem to be involved in making comments about merit-based incentive payment systems and alternate payment models, such as what we're seeing now with the Honeysuckle Health NIB Cigna proposal for managed care in Australia. So in this study, they surveyed a thousand members of their association which included 250 practices from cardiology, orthopedics, primary care, as well as some multi-specialty practices that included primary care. 
They focused on the time spent by doctors and other staff on specific activities relating to reporting and inspecting this quality data. They also asked some questions about how useful they thought these measures were. So what they found, and this is a survey done at the end of 2014, was that 90% of the practices that were surveyed were asked to report on quality data from external entities. So in Australia, there's lots of ways for clinicians to collect quality data. There's various audits that different clinical bodies have established. For example, one that the ASA was recently involved in was ANZILA, the Australian New Zealand Emergency Laparotomy Audit. However, in this study, they found that somewhere between 70 to 90% of practices were expending effort in dealing with these external quality measures. On average, there was 15 hours per doctor per week spent on dealing with these quality measures. And usually that was divided up. So two and a half hours per week by doctors and 12 and a half hours by extra staff. For those of you who listen to my podcast with Dr. Carmen Brown, if not, I suggest you go back and listen to it. It's episode number 38. You can hear how she had to employ a coder within her practice to collect all this information. Those in primary care spent the most time. And I really feel for our GPs, But in this survey, primary care doctors spent on average 3.9 hours per week dealing with quality measures and the primary care practices spent 19.1 hours. We tend to work a 10-hour working day. So that's two whole working days just to enter and review quality data per week. And that is two days that someone can't be helping with looking after patients. They translated this into costs, which I won't go into because it's based on historical data as well as US costings, but that's how they come up with the figure of $15.4 billion annually to report quality measures. So how did they find it? 46% reported that it was a significant burden to deal with measures, particularly those that were similar but not identical to each other. An example of having measures that are a little bit similar that they mentioned in this study is the Medicare Shared Savings Program defined poor diabetes control as having a haemoglobin A1c at or above 8%, whereas the Healthcare Effectiveness Data and Information Set set the standard at 9%. So hence the coder is going to have to collect that information, whether it's at 8% or 9%, and enter it into the correct database. How can that happen? Well, they say in this study that state and regional agencies currently use 1,367 measures of quality and only 20% of those were used by more than one state or regional program. They quote another study that found that 23 health insurers used 546 provider quality measures and that few of these matched across insurers. And in fact, few of those 540-odd quality measures that were used by the health insurers correlated with the 1,700 measures used by federal agencies. So can you imagine having 1,700 different things that you need to measure and that they're all a little bit different and some are collected by some agencies but not others, some insurers but not others? And hence you can see why coders in the US are a growing part of the health workforce. In this study, 27% of those surveyed believed that the current quality measures that they were using were representative of the quality of care. 
So this is data that's being collected in their perception that is not useful in terms of helping them care for patients. Not surprisingly, 46% thought that it was a significant burden to deal with measures that were similar but not identical to each other. There is much to gain from collecting quality measurement. Don't get me wrong, we do that anyway. But what has happened with the fragmented US healthcare system with managed care is that this has become an onerous task. There is not a single unified set of quality measures across all the federal and state agencies and across all the private health insurance companies. And when I last looked in the US, there are now over 900 private health insurance companies. So there are a few limitations to the study. Firstly, they only surveyed their members, so members of the Medical Group Management Association. They only looked at the four specialty practice types, probably because they are the most common types of practice over there. They did have a low response rate. And of course, it was retrospective data collected by a single person. But nevertheless, the comments that I made at the start do stand. And that is that medical coders are increasing as a workforce in the US healthcare system by 10% every year that there are currently more than 60,000 of them in the US. And there is one coder for every dozen doctors and they still need more. This can be argued that this is further money that is leaving the health system that's not involved in direct patient cares that is trying to address this question of quality. It is also used as the basis for financial pay for performance incentives. They do also make some comment about the electronic health record, and perhaps that's a mechanism to facilitate the retrieval of data for quality measures. I hope you found that useful and interesting. The US does have one of the highest spends on healthcare and does achieve the lowest health outcomes. And this is an example of how those healthcare costs can rise. And potentially what we are facing with managed care and the NIB Cigna Honeysuckle Health Proposal, which does explicitly mention the collection of data, value-based contracting, and pay for performance incentives. If you're worried about managed care, then I do suggest you write to your local federal member of parliament. I will direct you to the Send the Eagle Home website. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. There's more information there about managed care and there's also links to the MP so you can find their addresses and write to them. Please do let me know if you have any questions. If you have any more updated articles that you would like me to discuss in this podcast, please do send them through to me. The best email for that is asa at asa.org.au. Okay, hope you enjoyed listening and hope you stay well out there. This podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists. More podcasts can be found on the ASA website, asa.org.au. Music was La Toile Dance by Maidan, which can be found on the free music archive website. We hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>